Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers. And I'm Megan Francis. And you're listening to a special series from the Mom Hour podcast called Pandemic Perspectives. In this series of episodes, we're talking to parents and people from around the world whose lives are affected by the COVID-19 global pandemic in a way that might not make it into your social media feeds quite as often. You'll hear from families on the front lines experiencing an unprecedented time in a very specific way. And you'll hear what's challenging as well as what's hopeful. We can't wait to share their stories with you. Welcome to Pandemic Perspectives from the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers, and you are listening to Pandemic Perspectives on the Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Allison, a mom of a toddler with another one on the way from New Hampshire. Allison, thank you for being here. And tell us a little bit about your family and where you live and what you do for a living. Sure. So I live in um, Nashua, New Hampshire, which is a it's the second biggest city in New Hampshire, <laughs> but that still makes it pretty small. Um, but we're also in, about an hour outside of the greater Boston area. Okay. Um, and I am, um, a Unitarian Universalist minister. I serve a congregation of about 270 adults, um, as the, the only minister in that congregation. Um, and I live in Nashua with my husband, um, and our daughter who is two, uh, and we have our second child is on the way, um, due in early October. Oh my gosh. So are you, uh, let's see, like six months? Are you into the second trimester now? I am. Yes. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, this is the fun part for a lot of people pregnancy wise. Um, so I'd love to hear about what your work kind of looked like before the pandemic began, because I think a lot of people may not be familiar with what, um, you know, a church leader or a faith leader does. Um, maybe just talk us through, really the functional aspects of your job, your day-to-day, um, and what that looked like before. And then, of course, we'll get into what's changed. Sure. Uh, so it's um, it's an interesting job because it combines a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I uh, am the spiritual leader of this community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing that people most often think about when they they picture what ministers do is kind of the Sunday morning routine sure. <laughs> of leading worship and um, sometimes leading classes for people afterwards. Um, probably the second thing people think of is the pastoral care aspect. Okay. So, you know, doing visits with people, 
um, supporting people in challenging parts of their life, Mm -hmm. uh, doing things like um, weddings and memorial services. Um, But actually a big chunk of the job is um, basically running a small nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are uh, kind of a mid-sized church, which means that we've got eight people on staff. Um, only one other person is full-time. Um, so me and one other person, um, but I'm the head of staff. Um, I'm in charge of, uh, fundraising of kind of all the operations of the, the congregation, um, as well as all of the programming. So we do, uh, we're a pretty active church. So Mm -hmm. we've got programs happening probably most many days of the week. It's Mm -hmm. one way or another. Um, I go to a lot of meetings. <laughs> that's, that's a big part of the work. Um, there's a lot of volunteer management because we we only have eight staff members, but we have you know a couple hundred volunteers yeah. basically um, that I and the rest of the staff manage. Um, and then there's kind of the outward facing piece. My congregation is pretty involved in social justice work in our community, mm-hmm. and so I'm also often out in the community um, doing work with other nonprofit organizations with other congregations in town um, and kind of advocating for folks who are marginalized in our community. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. Thank you for just walking us through that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the last couple months and how, how things have, have shifted. I guess I want to start with less of the logistical and practical and more on Mm -hmm. just the community and spiritual side of things. What, yeah. What have you noticed about your role and about your community and your congregation over the last couple months? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that um, in some ways we've streamlined a little bit, mm-hmm. um, that there there are ways in which this this moment has made us consider what's really the most important, what's mm-hmm. core mm-hmm. to what we do as a congregation. And um Part of that is our Sunday morning gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, what people are really hungry for right now is connection. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what we're all about is connection, mm-hmm. right? So so there are ways in which I, I know our, our um, participation has been up mm-hmm. in some ways, uh, partly because people don't have competing activities yeah. on Sunday yeah. mornings. Uh, we're often competing with like kids sports sure. and family events and all of that. And people don't have that right now. Um, so can I jump in and clarify? Yeah. We, I assume you went virtual like most faith we communities. Um, yeah. And so you say participation may be up. Is this via Zoom? Are you in your house? Like what, what do yeah. services look like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we are using Zoom basically for everything. Uh, our so our Sunday morning services are on Zoom. I am in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sit in my my office, which is a, a little corner of my bedroom. Okay. Um, and lead worship from there. And we have um, kind of we've gotten better at it as we've gone sure. gone through it, of course. Um, but we have a number of people who actually make that happen on Sunday mornings. Um, so a lot of it is live. Some of it's recorded. Um, but you can see everyone's faces. You can. And I think, okay. That's yeah, cool. that's, or at least everyone who turns their camera on. Sure. Um, which has been one of the, I think one of the things we've gotten the most positive feedback about, um, people just want to see each other's faces yeah. and want to feel like 
you know, the world is still going on and there are other people outside of the confines of their house. That's really interesting. What about the more individual connecting that you might do with members of your congregation throughout the week or on Sundays? Are you um, doing those kind of meetings virtually? Are people coming to you in, in trauma and crisis? Are you seeing more of that? Uh, a little bit more. Um, what I'm seeing more of is um, is people reaching out to each other. So mm-hmm. we actually organized uh, what we're calling caring circles, uh, which are groups of 10, 10 people. Uh, and we put everyone in the congregation into a caring circle. And we have leaders of each circle who are reaching out to everyone in their circle uh, once every other week. I love that. Um, and so uh, part of that is that we're a big enough congregation that I can't reach out to everyone every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we really felt like during this time, we needed to be connecting with people more one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually been a challenge for me as, as the minister, because most of the um, pastoral care I do, most of the support that I give to people happens kind of on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, like they stop me in the hall sure, on Sunday sure. morning. Yeah. Um, or it's after a meeting that I'm in with them. So. I just haven't been able to do that in the same way. Yeah. Um, I have been opening up a, I have an hour that I'm just on Zoom every week and everyone has the link and they can jump on if they want. Okay. Um, so I've had some people jumping on just because they're having a rough day. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and other times no one comes because, you know, they've got a million other things yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, I love that caring circles idea. Um, and I imagine you all have had to become like the rest of us in so many industries, but like tech wizards pretty quickly. Um, just because, you know, worship is normally, like you said, such a community communal and in-person thing, um, that that's a pretty big pivot. Um, and so I hope all your tech is working for you and that you've got Good helpers in the background because that's a lot. It's it's a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, we have um, we have a big advantage over other congregations in that um, the Nashua area, one of the industries, is is high tech. Okay, um, and so I have a greater number of techie people in the congregation. Nice, um, and so that means we had already had some stuff in place. So uh, for us to just, I mean, we decided on Thursday that we were going to have worship online on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was not that hard to jump into. Yeah. Um, I know other congregations had to kind of take a week off and then yeah. jump into it. Um, so in some ways we were really lucky just cause we have the, yeah, I love that. the volunteers. Yeah. The congregation. That's great. I mean, as someone who is relatively high tech myself, I am happy to volunteer. Like whenever I can help a school or my family or right. anybody with their tech, I feel like, well, I have this knowledge. It's easy. It's an easy way to contribute. So I'm so yeah. glad that you do have that. Um, well, what feels hard right now for you? Um, so I, uh, I would name kind of two things. One is kind of micro level and yeah. one is macro level. Um, on the micro level, the thing that's hard in our house right now are naps. <laughs> I love it. That is a, a universal hard. So yes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I have, uh, my daughter is turning two tomorrow, so okay. she's, she's just two. So she really needs a nap, Yeah. but she's all off her routine. Mm. Um, and cause she's not in childcare and, um, and it, uh, I am amazed at how, it shapes my mood. Yes. Um, if she takes a nap, how long her nap is. 
it's the one time of the day when both my husband and I can work yeah. if she does nap. Um, and she hasn't been napping well. Yeah. Um, she's been napping really badly. So that's been the hardest daily challenge. Yeah. And it, it does it. It can just color your entire day. And then um, stressing, anticip- like anticipating a bad nap yeah. or anticipating the struggle is is a part of the mental load. It really is. So I don't want to diminish that at all. Naps are sleep and naps are really hard. And I bet there are thousands of moms nodding their head right now. And <laughs> they may not they may not have the same work struggles that you do, but for sure they have the same nap struggles. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of on the daily level. Um, uh, uh, in the big picture, and I think actually the nap goes into this a little bit. <laughs> Uh, just the lack of certainty yeah. um, is really is really hard. This is the time of year when uh, we usually um, at the church are planning for next year. Mm. Um, so our church year kind of runs on a school year schedule. Okay. Um, and so we, in the spring, are thinking about the fall and mm-hmm. winter of the next year. And I can't tell you the number of meetings I've been in in the last couple of weeks where we say, oh, we should be thinking about this for the fall. And then we all kind of get quiet yeah. and then just throw up our hands because yeah. you just can't plan. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of heightened for me because I'm um, going to be away on parental leave mm-hmm. um, in hopefully in October, November and much of December. Yeah. Um, and I so I need to be planning for that as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm also just a planner. Like yeah. that's my personality. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so it's hard to, to feel like, okay, I can plan for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm supposed to be making a budget for July of 2020 through June of 2021. Yeah. Um, and I can't actually do that yeah. in a way that, that makes sense right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. And anyone who runs a business or a nonprofit, like you said, is facing the same. Um, Schools, I think are really in that boat right now too, where it's like, we all want to look forward to next school year. And as as spring moves on and the weeks wear by, we're like, wait, (laughs) what, what does that even look like? So yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our community? Um, just something you think um, others may not understand about the work that you do or just any perspective you'd like to leave us with? Um, I'm going to say two things. Yeah. Um, one is just uh, so being in a position of of someone who is um, kind of making the decisions about when and how things reopen. Mm hmm. Um, I know that a lot of folks out there are um, are kind of feeling the impacts of those decisions, yeah, um, but don't necessarily have the power to make them. Mm. Um, and and so I like I have a lot of compassion for my daughter's daycare, yeah, um, which is closed at the moment, and I know they're thinking really hard about how to reopen. And I know I can't even fathom in my mind what it looks like for us to start gathering in person um, at the church. Um, So I know that there's, you know, a lot of people out there who have questions about, okay, when are things going to start again? And, um, and, uh, and so I just, you know, would invite compassion for for all the decision makers out there. I love that. Um, That it's, that it's a really hard position to Mm -hmm. be in. And especially in this situation where things are changing so quickly. Yes. um, That, that I, I can't tell you right. anything about right. what that will look like. Right. Right. Um, and I'm sure 
anyone else who's in a position of making decisions yeah. can't either. Yeah, I think that's um, super important to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is just, um, uh, you know, one of the things that's been getting me through is, um, is that I'm, I'm in this work where, where I'm kind of forced to, to be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in, uh, I, I sometimes say I'm in the business of hope. I'm supposed to try to every Sunday bring some, some hope to a world that's hurting yeah. and even more so in this time. Um, and so, so that means that I kind of lived my life looking around for what are the signs of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really important in this time. Yeah. Uh, it's to notice the the really profound ways that people are connecting to each other um, and are, are finding new ways of connecting. Um, like uh, our elementary school did did like a little car parade in the neighborhood. Oh, I love that. And all the teachers were were driving by and it happened to go right by our house. We didn't know what was going on because my kid's not in elementary yeah. school. Um, but it was just this like moment of pure joy, yeah. which, um, you know, comes in the middle of this really, really hard time. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I've been trying to practice this looking for those little pieces of hope and little yeah. pieces of joy. And um, some days that's the only thing that's getting me through. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and as someone who often is in a position of sharing a message or, or putting context around what we're experiencing, mm. I'm sure that you finding those points of hope is then allowing you to share that and kind of plant those seeds in your community. So you're yeah. really doing something much bigger than just noticing the hopeful but you're also helping spread it. And that is hugely valuable, I'm sure, to your community. Um, well, My hope. Well, Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And just we're sending all the good thoughts to you and your community right now. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I um, almost never hear the perspective of um, pastors who are also parents. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that you're taking the chance to talk to me. No, me too. This has been great. Sarah, the stories we've been hearing and sharing as part of this special pandemic perspective series are so important, and they've really got me thinking about ways to help and make an impact. I know that right now our listeners are also eager to make a difference, so we're excited to share a great opportunity from our friends at Crisis Text Line. Yes. So Crisis Text Line offers 24-7 support from trained crisis counselors, all delivered via text to people in crisis. As you can imagine, our current national situation with people stuck at home and sometimes in unsafe or unhealthy situations, it's really created a huge demand for extra mental health support. Crisis Text Line is responding to that need by building up its base of volunteer crisis counselors. And this could be a perfect opportunity for you. You don't have to have any particular education or work background to apply, just a desire to help out and empathy, which we know our listeners have so much of. Oh, yeah. And you'll also need a strong Wi-Fi signal. You can do this important work during nap time, after the kids are in bed or before they get up in the morning. You can do it in your pajamas, on the sofa, wherever you are and whatever your home life situation. Crisis Text Line can accommodate you as a volunteer. Crisis Text Line provides all the training you'll need to turn your desire to help into the skills and knowledge you need to make a difference. It's actually 30 hours of training, so it's a big commitment, but you can be confident that you'll have the tools and information you need to do the work. This is such a great way to make a difference right now when we know so many of you are feeling helpless because you're stuck at home. Just go to themomhour.com slash CTL. 
Even if you can't get started right now, it's a good idea to go through the application and training process because we know the mental health impact of COVID-19 is going to last for some time. Applying to become a crisis counselor is a great way to start the ball rolling on a volunteer opportunity that could be really rewarding and impactful now and in the future. And if you're having a hard time right now and you need some help, you can also get support right now. Text GO to 741-741 and you'll be connected to a trained crisis counselor. It usually takes less than five minutes to connect with someone who can provide a listening ear. You don't have to be in a dire situation to reach out. Crisis Text Line really is for any situation where you need some extra help and support. Again, if you're interested in applying to become a crisis counselor, go to themomhour.com slash CTL to get started. Or if you could use some support yourself, text GO to 741-741 and you'll be matched with a counselor of your own. Again, that's themomhour.com slash CTL to apply to become a volunteer crisis counselor or you can text GO to 741-741 to be connected with a crisis counselor. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers, and you are listening to Pandemic Perspectives on the Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Allison, a mom of two from Seattle. Allison, thanks so much for being here. And I'd love for you to just tell us about your family and how many kids you have and where you guys live and what you do for a living. Great. Hi, everybody. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. I live in Seattle with my husband, who is a chef, and my two kids, Vinny, who's almost five, and Louie, who's two and a half. I managed, uh, before the pandemic hit, I managed two cafes in the Seattle area um, after we got our stay-at-home order and sales down a cliff, we closed a location um, and had to lay off quite a few people. Um, um, Another location continues to um, operate. And um, my husband's business also changed quite a bit. Uh, Like a lot of restaurants, they pivoted to doing takeout and delivery and um, distributing produce boxes from one of their vendors. And yeah, uh, switching to family side, family style meals instead right. of individual entrees. Um, so we've we both managed to stay employed, uh, and we're grateful. We're grateful for that. But um, but it's been big very changes, stressful. Big yeah. Changes. Um. So before the pandemic, and you know, Seattle being one of the early you know areas to go, kind of into staying at home. But before all of that, what was your schedule like and what was the childcare situation? Um, paint us a little picture of what life was like for you and your husband and your work home life before all this happened. Sure. Um, it wasn't even, wasn't easy even before <laughs> the pandemic. Um, my husband worked Wednesday through Sunday. Okay. And he had Mondays and Tuesdays off and would be home with the kids on Mondays and Tuesdays. Okay. Uh, I work Monday through Friday. And uh, so I would be, you know, alone with the kids Saturdays and Sundays. Mm-hmm. My husband can leave work a little bit early on Sunday. So Sunday afternoon and evening was family day. That was really yeah. kind of only big chunk of time that we have together as a whole family. Yeah. Um, we are very fortunate that we have an amazing nanny share situation. Oh, that's great. Um, the kids are in the nanny share Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So we managed to um, minimize our. Uh, child care costs. Okay. So just to back up a little bit, you mentioned this, but 
you managed two cafes, one of which had to close and lay off employees. And that was probably back in late March. Is that about as, as things developed? Is that when that happened? Correct. Yeah. And so as you have pivoted to the other location, are you still physically going in? Are you doing more administrative things remotely or a little bit of both? How has your, your work specifically changed over the last couple of months? So um, I started working less um, at the, the cafe that was closed. There was some administrative work to do and some cleanup and some things to do to tidy up loose ends for the facility to be pretty much unoccupied. Um, we tried doing delivery, a uh, short stint of delivery for a while and decided it wasn't really um, the best fit. And so actually starting next week, I am working for long barista shifts. Okay. And um, per week at the at the other cafe. So okay. um, my job's going to get a lot more, a lot more physical. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm customer, customer facing. Right, right. For eight, for eight hours a day. And is that new for Seattle? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little naive here. I have not gone to coffee shops myself, even if some have remained open because they are allowed to. Um, is this new for Seattle? Are people going in to get a cup of coffee at or a sandwich at a cafe and has, or is this like, is this a things opening up or has this been going along the whole time? Um, some coffee shops and other restaurants have been able to stay open doing, uh, delivery or, and takeout. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, doing curbside, um, pickup, um, we have a walk-up window at, mm-hmm. at this cafe and that's been really popular. Some businesses are uh, just doing like meal delivery, home delivery, okay. or takeout, very limited hours. Um, so I, I see I see a couple of things happening. I see, first of all, I see a lot of um, resourcefulness and creativity. Mm-hmm. I see people really relying on their community of customers. Yeah. Um, you know, you see in um, their, their social media posts, they're really using those to get the word out like, hey, we were this kind of restaurant. Now we're going to be doing family style meals delivered to your door. If yeah. you live with two miles of us, maybe even sharing space with other restaurants yeah. to kind of maximize um, the, the cost effectiveness and the resources. And um, sometimes you'll see maybe like maybe the, the, the husband and wife who own the business um, working all of the shifts and having to lay off yeah. their other employees so that they can just survive. Um, you see others that maybe are in, have, have a different situation or have different resources trying to give the few hours to the few baristas that they have to right. keep them employed. Um, I've seen, I've seen crowdfunding for um, cafe workers and, you know, yes. coffee shop and, and bar, you know, bartenders and um, things like mm-hmm. that. I, and I, I just want to like jump in and echo the social media piece. It's actually crossed my mind that at least down here in Orange County, there's a lot of very young, very hip, very, you know, high tech um, people who own coffee shops or who manage coffee shops. And I have felt so glad for them that they have this social media presence. I think there's other brick and mortar retail stores and things who haven't learned to use Instagram, for example, mm-hmm. and they're, they're having to pivot, but the coffee shops are on it. You know, they like, they're posting. I bought a T-shirt from a collective of local coffee shops that's mm-hmm. you know raising awesome. money for the baristas, and but they made it easy because they're on Instagram and I'm on Instagram. So I, it is yeah. so interesting, and I'm so glad you brought up that 
that creativity and resourcefulness um, because maybe it's something about the the cafe community or the cafe coffee shop type that is just was already on social, but I have seen the same and it's, it's very cool. Yeah. I've really been impressed. And, um, to be, to be honest, um, really jealous of that because I don't feel like I have the capacity Uh to pivot like that. You know, I was heartbroken by the closing of the big cafe and having to lay people off, even though it's a global pandemic, you know, Many people have told me I should not feel personally responsible um, for that. I, I do, and I feel survivor's guilt. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that really did not help my executive functioning. That, yeah. that did not help me, you know, problem solve and be um, and, and 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 pivot like that the way a lot of other businesses have, and and that that created an, an additional layer of stress, which yeah. you know I think we're all experiencing in different ways. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you what feels hardest right now. So it sounds like that's kind of what we're, we're moving into anyway, but it sounds like the, the laying off was really traumatic. Is there anything else um, that feels really hard right now? I think because of the, the stress and the anxiety that that caused, I'm more impatient with my kids. Mm. And I don't have the excuse that a lot of people have that, you know, you're not used to being home with your kids all day and now you're home with your kids all day. And- supposed to be working from home and taking care of your kids and helping them homeschool at the same time. You know, we still have an amazing nanny who's watching the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not feeling isolated or trapped. And there are different stresses involved. Sure, of course. Being out in the general public. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just, um, you know, it just, it just, it just hit me, hit me really hard. Um, you know, I know we made the right decision, but it was really difficult. And yeah. I, you know, and I, I, you know, and I was feeling really, really terrible about it. And, um, I've gone to postpartum checkups and taken the Edinburgh depression scale and mm-hmm. I'm finding less joy in things than I used to check. Mm-hmm. Am I finding it harder to laugh than I used to? Am I finding myself with my, hanging out with my kids, struggling not to burst into tears or just feeling flat? Mm-hmm. And, um, hoping they don't, hoping they don't notice yeah. and think it, and think it's about them. But like, like, I'm just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Um, and that, that has been, that has been. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, the timing is very interesting because, um, you actually wrote to us right before we were getting this series off the ground, um, and kind of even like got you know, me and gear to put this together and Seattle being so far ahead. Um, I don't want to say that your trauma, I, I can't say that your trauma was worse or not worse, but it was at the very beginning. Um, and I would imagine mm-hmm. that that felt even lonelier um, in terms of being, having to lay off employees and having to close a business now, six weeks, seven, eight weeks later, that's almost part of a, a collective community experience. And while that doesn't mm-hmm. make it better or or easy, um, you had to have probably felt really alone because you were among the first, your community was hit hardest first and you had to make that decision relatively early. So I can see how that would be different. I think that's true. And also, um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and hosts will say things off and like, since we're all home all the time, or mm-hmm. since we're all home with our kids all day, 
or since we're all working from home now. And um, I know that you guys make an effort to acknowledge that you're speaking from your own perspectives and your own experience. And I thought, hey, I have a perspective here of mm-hmm. a worker who is still working outside yeah. the home, for one, and two, working in this industry that, you know, around the country, but again, you know, it was hit that the food service industry and retail workers are often some of the most insecure mm-hmm. um, in our country, you know, financially and um, in terms of job security. And the restaurant industry was just decimated, just hit so hard, yeah. so quickly in Seattle. And being a working mom in that environment at the beginning of this, um, I thought that's not a, that's not a perspective that everyone has, but yeah. everyone is still going to the grocery store and going out and interacting with those retail employees, you know, who are, you know, now we're, we're kind of celebrated as uh, brave frontline right. workers, um, which is an interesting change. It um, is. Not to say that our customers weren't appreciative and gracious before, but there's a very different tenor to that appreciation. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, feels hopeful right now. What, and again, you're, you are speaking with maybe more time behind you, um, being where you live than a lot of our listeners. Are you starting to see little bits of hope or where are you personally finding hope? Um, spring in Seattle is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even those little moments, um, mindfulness has never been my strong suit, (laughs) but when I leave the house at 6am for my early barista shifts and the streets are so quiet and the birds are really loud and, um, the flowers are in bloom and maybe there's a nice little sunrise. I really appreciate those moments now. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it being, um, such a beautiful time of year is, is, is actually helping yeah. um, for, for quite a lot of us. Uh, certainly the, the gratitude and the support of the customers who are still co- uh, able to come out and support us. Mm-hmm. Um, looking, looking for ways to support the baristas or um, donating um, to causes or buying gift cards to help, um, to help support the restaurants and keep some revenue coming yeah. in. That is all very hopeful. And just realizing like I'm, I'm making some, I'm making some peace with, with the layoffs. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not crying every time I walk by the site yeah. of the cafe anymore. So realizing that I'm going to get through this, I'm going to find some balance yeah. and just finding, you know, it's a little bit easier to bear this week than it was the week yeah. before than it was the, the week before that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you would like to share about the perspective you have um, as a cafe manager and food service person that you think other moms might not understand? We've touched on a few things, but any final thoughts you want to leave us with? You know, one of the things I really stewed on um, in the first couple of weeks was um, there's a real kind of ethical conflict involved for. Um, I'll, I'll speak for my. I'll speak for myself. Sure. Um, as a as a cafe manager, I realized that what was best for the business and what's best for public health mm-hmm. and what's 
best for our employees and what was best for my own, you know, job stability um, or, and or mental health. Mm-hmm. So most things were in conflict. Yeah. And that's a really, really difficult position to be in. Yeah. You would have, you know, some customers or um, coworkers or employees feel like, you know, it's not right to continue to operate, even if we could be open and do takeout mm-hmm. and deliver. Um, lattes aren't essential. Right. Nobody needs a latte. So encouraging. So both. So both putting your customer, putting your employees in harm's way. Yeah. And putting. Um, encouraging the public to come out and interact for a non-essential item, um, that could be uh, problematic. Yeah. And, and that's a really, really difficult position to be in. Yeah. And, you know, we're all, we, you know, we all made the best decisions that we could. Mm-hmm. And maybe we make decisions differently if we can. And I think you know, some of us were glad when the government took some of those decisions out of our hands. Right. Um, and we're just trying to support each other and ask, you know, check in with employees, make sure that they are, um, that, that we're respecting the right to privacy and that they are still comfortable, you know, working with the general public. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was, I think, some, something that surprised me when it, yeah. when it, when it struck me, you know, who knew that it would just be this like ethical dilemma about whether or not to close your business. Yeah. I think that's such, such an important perspective that a lot of us just haven't taken the time to think about. I talked to another mom who just basically put it as let's have compassion for the decision makers. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. such a poignant way to put it that when we're consuming news, whether it's local or state or national, we're hearing the end decision. We're hearing the final decision and we may or may not be happy about it. We may think it's a great idea. We may think it's a terrible idea. Um, there are so many decision makers and not just the governors and government leaders. But um, I think you just now and others that I've spoken to have just really invited a lot more empathy and compassion for what goes into making those decisions um, and that you don't you don't always even have all the information, um, let alone, you know, like you said, the ethical dilemma, even if you have all the information, there's so many different sides to this. So I really appreciate that perspective. Um, and just for myself of having these conversations and understanding better. So, well, Allison, um, we are so appreciative that you took the time today and, um, we will be thinking of you and we just appreciate you taking the time. We have so enjoyed getting to know so many of you for the series and hearing your stories. Today's show is the final episode in the series, at least for now. As we move into the next phase of the pandemic, Sarah and I will continue to find ways to elevate the perspectives of all different kinds of families. And who knows, we may decide to bring pandemic perspectives back in the future. For now, thanks to every one of you who shared your story on the podcast and those who wrote in with their stories as well. And thanks to you all for listening as always. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers, and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives on the Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Starlin, a mom of two from Southern California. Starlin, thank you for being here. And tell us a little bit about your family and what you do for a living. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Sarah. My name is Starlin Perez, and I am a mom from Riverside, California. I live with my husband and my two children. My son, Levi, is two years old, and my daughter, Luna, is three months. Oh, my gosh. You, you have two little tiny ones. I do. I'm in it. Yeah. And, and what about your business? 
So I am a family childcare provider, which means I run a daycare business out of my home. Okay. Wow. And that must be um, different now. Um, <sighs> a so lot different. We're going to get into all that, but I would love okay. to know before the pandemic happened, tell us a little bit about your in-home daycare and just kind of what your work life was like and how many kids did you have in your home and what your schedule was like. So paint us a picture of what life looked like before all this happened. Okay. So pre-COVID, we were full with the wait list and full means that we had 12 children a day. Okay. We are an academic-based program, and we follow the whole child curriculum. We run from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and we offer a.m. and p.m. extended care. Um, so we consider ourselves a preschool. We don't take any children under 12 months. My okay. little girl's the exception. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't kick her out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we are an in-home preschool program is really what we call ourselves. Our name is Patty Cake Preschool, and we are home sweet home, and we meet classroom education. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you have other teachers or providers in the home with you? Is it, or is it just you yes. and your family? Okay. No. So my mom is my assistant. Okay. She's with me full time. And then we have a substitute. How did you get into this line of work? Is this, do you have an early childhood background or did this just kind of come as a result of, you know, being a mom yourself or? So I have my bachelor's in early childhood education and I have been in the field for now over 10 years. Okay. I started out as a preschool teacher and I directed preschools and I got into therapy where I provided early intervention services and ABA therapy. So I've had my fair share of experience. And once I had my son, it was just time to be home with him. And yeah, that's how Patty Cake Preschool was born. That's awesome. I have never been a part of an in-home um, childcare situation, but I, the people I know who have have had such incredible experiences. And it's it seems like it's one of those things that's hard to find because they're, they're not, there seems around here fewer and farther between. Um, but if you find a great one and it sounds like yours is what a gift to those families. So that's, yeah, we truly love it. It's amazing. That's awesome. Did you know my co-host Megan grew up with a daycare childcare in her home? Like her mom oh, provided. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. Um, so very cool for your kids as well to be growing up, um, with that in the home. I think that's great. Well, let's talk about the changes then. Um, the last couple months have brought a lot of changes, but I know in different communities, childcare is still considered essential. So just walk me through, um, like from middle March to now it's almost May, um, what are the changes to your business that you've seen in your community? Oh, goodness. So we are essential. We are able to stay open. Um, and of course, there's parameters that we have to follow the CDC and everyone put out best practices for daycare providers. So of course, those are in place. Mm -hmm. um, but let me start. So pre-COVID, we had, like I said, 12 children a day. Parents were welcome into the home. And we only checked for a temperature when it was necessary. Mm -hmm. And post-COVID, you know, our sign-in and out table is outside on the porch, so parents no longer come in. Um, we wear masks at drop-off and pick-up to limit that exposure. Temperature checks are done as soon as they get to the door before they can even enter. And we're checking the parents and the children. Okay. Uh, um, if their shoes come off as soon as they come in the door, their backpacks get hung, we lice all everything down, they go straight to washing their hands. And it's a lot before they can even start playing, especially with I'm picturing the one and two and three year olds. You know, it's just oh, it's I a know. lot. It's it a is. lot. Are you are your families um, are are some of them in essential or frontline situations? Is it a mix or and have you seen some families just choose to keep their kids home for now? 
a mix of everything. Okay. So from our typical 12, we average about four a day now, which is drastic. Yeah. I mean, we remained open for those essential working families because without child care providers, I mean, they wouldn't be able to do those essential jobs. Sure. But I think I have a good mix of families. I have parents on the front line that are first responders and healthcare heroes. And yeah. I have parents that work in the food industry. So mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. Yeah. How are the kids doing right now? I know I've talked to so many different moms in different situations. And we, we've all talked about how, you know, in some ways, how kids are able to roll with the punches even more than grownups. Are you seeing the kids kind of roll along or are you seeing some evidence of stress and trauma for the kids? You know, I do not see any evidence of stress and trauma. They're all one to four years old and none of them really know what's going on yeah. at all. I mean, we keep them really active, lots of outside water play when the weather permits and I don't think that they notice anything has changed. Well, that's kind of a gift to them that you are it providing. Truly is. It's it's like we look to the little ones and um I, I my kids have been journaling every night and they write down their best thing and their worst thing of the day and it was so oh. funny in the beginning cuz they'd be like, oh, "I can't think of anything bad that happened today." Oh, I love <laughs> that. Like, meanwhile, amazing. the world is falling apart I outside. Know. You know, now they're a little bored and they can think of some things. But in the beginning it was like honestly, they could not think of a single thing that was wrong with their world and that was really uh, Yeah. Um such a gift. Re- yeah, really nice for me. Um I think that's a good reminder as as a mom. Um, well, obviously this, this has economic repercussions for you and your business. Um, how are you feeling as a business owner right now? Uh, it, it's a struggle as a business owner right now. Um, we're probably down about 50% in profits. Mm-hmm. So it's been a drastic change. My, uh, my mom, my assistant, she was working upwards of 30 hours and now she's down to maybe 12 and I had to furlough my sub. Mm-hmm. So it's been a struggle, but we're okay. I know that I'm staying open for a great reason. Yeah. And I am hopeful about a lot of stuff. It's hard, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else feels hard right now? What about your own life as a mom? Um, when you're not, when you're not working, um, how are things at home? You know, I think it was a hard decision to remain opened with my infant and my toddler because bringing people into the home, even though we're putting all these precautions in place, it's yeah. still exposing me more than the normal person who just gets to stay home. Right, right. So that was hard and that was a struggle making that decision. And I mean, we just have to hope and yeah. keep everything extra clean. And I, I, it worries me, but I think my family will be safe. But that was hard making the decision to stay open. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and what feels hopeful right now? I'm hopeful that we will come out of this better than before. COVID has taught me a lot and made us appreciate things much more, such as a can of Lysol spray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will be a good business again and that I will be able to help a lot more children than just for a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would imagine so many families are eager to get back to work and life as soon as it's safe to do so. And um, so hopefully those families are returning to you and new families are finding you. Um, Definitely. Because, you know, there's there's a lot of people who would love to be sending their children off to daycare right now. And so as soon as they're given the safe green light, they will be at your door, I hope. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share just that moms might not understand about your perspective, either as an early childhood educator or a small business owner or just anything else you'd like to leave us with? 
You know, I wish that others understood how important child care providers truly were. Mm. We are in a field that is underappreciated, yeah. I feel, oftentimes. And I mean, we are the people who enable essential families to continue working. So yeah. that's something that I wish that a lot of others would take into consideration. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Well, thank you for all the work that you do um, and for opening your home to these kids and these families. And we wish you all the best. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening, and that way you'll get notified when our new episodes drop. Both the regular parenting and motherhood topics you're used to hearing from the Mom Hour, as well as this special series. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast episodes during this time, we'd so appreciate your support in the form of a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews help others find the show and they help us continue to grow so we can reach more moms. We'll be back with you on Tuesday with another all new episode of the Mom Hour. Talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.